This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Hone your development skills at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein. I'm here today with Ernie Miller. Hey, Ernie. Hey, how's it going, man? Good. So, uh, you're speaking this year. I am. What are you talking about? Or have you talked? I'm talking on Friday, and uh, that's good because I'm not done with my slides yet. Basically, well, the title of the talk is curmudgeon, right? It's sort of a curmudgeonly look at Rails. It's an opinionated look at an opinionated framework. So the underlying premise, right, is that we would probably stop hitting so many brick walls in our development with Rails if we recognized that some of the opinions that Rails took for our behalf, you know, or on our behalf, have impacted the way that we think about problems, mm-hmm. right? Like persistence up front for starters. You know, we type Rails G model, what do we get? We get an active record-based subclass. It, it implicitly tells us models are active record-based subclasses, even though we know as experienced developers that's not the case. It mm-hmm. shapes the way we think about problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that kind of examination. Hmm. So. I, I like that you're doing that. So Yehuda did a keynote where he was sort of like extolling the virtues of convention over configuration. Right. And I think we should always be a little bit wary when people just present the good side of something. Right. Uh, and this to me is kind of the, is that other side. Yeah, um, one of the things that I found frustrating, I haven't had a chance to talk to Yehuda about it, is that it seemed as though it was being presented as sort of a a false dichotomy, right? Like you could only do one or the other, but I like to think of it more, you know, he talked about the 400th floor, right? Well, yes, the 400th floor sits on 399 other floors, right? But those all presumably have structural integrity, those all presumably have people using those floors. They're not just vacant floors that exist for nothing other than supporting that 400th floor. And in a building, if we're going to stick with that analogy, right, ideally you would be able to use those other floors if it makes sense. Mm. And, you know, when you have a very module-centric design like, like Rails is, is centered around, you only, I mean, you can't instant, instantiate modules. You can instantiate classes, right? So there aren't different places for you to hook in at different layers of abstraction. Mm-hmm. Action controller metal, though, is a great example, right? It's like, here's this thing that sits underneath a more full-featured action controller, right? That you can use if you want to to write something with a little lower latency or avoid some of the rest of the stack, right? Yep. We did that there. We don't do that through most of the other parts of the framework, and I, I don't really have a good reason why. Hmm. So we can't, we can't get like a more stripped down active record model or something like that. Is that what you're right? Meaning? Yeah, exactly. So in my talk, uh, one of the examples that I use is let's say uh, so I walk through exactly how we do attribute methods on active record, right? So I walk through. Okay, so we know we have this magic where we say class post descends from active record base end, right? Mm-hmm. And you know the problem is, of course, uh, to misquote Carl Sagan, is that uh, to infer attribute names you must first invent the universe, right? So there's this, if you follow it all the way down, you have to know things like, what is my table name? You have to know things like, what are my columns? You have to do things like, have an inflector to do pluralization, right? Right. You have to have all of this stuff to support something that, on the face of it, can be avoided by simply saying, here's my table name with configuration, here are my attributes and their types with configuration. Now, if we had approached that problem in a more, in like looking to give utility to the 399th floor, let's say, mm. we might have said, okay, so we'll build this thing that can be configured with attributes, and then we'll build something else on top of it, either through composition or inheritance, right. that configures the attributes, yeah. right? But we didn't do with, that. With defaults. Right. Yeah. 
that's the false, false dichotomy you're talking about. You don't have to just have convention. You can have you know convention layer on top of right. uh, configurability. Right, because if you if you go all the way down to it, let's say my I have a moose model. Well, now I need now I I, I don't want moose's table. I want a moose table, right? Mm -hmm. And so I have to inflect uncountable uh, for moose, right, to make it work, or I have to set my table name mm -hmm. to moose, right? And the thing about that is you're acknowledging that you're going to need to drop down a configuration anyway. It's better to make that the baseline and build on top of it so that you don't, I mean, even, even not all that long ago, I remember finding code in Active Record that assumed that um, primary keys were IDs, right? Mm -hmm. like, and it's not necessarily ID. It could be any column name you want. And so there are things like that that it's a lot harder to make those assumptions when the code is, is when you're dealing with a smaller uh, footprint on the API and you get that by either using composition or dealing with a, you know, a lower level uh, of abstraction where it makes sense mm -hmm. you know, and building on that. Yeah. What are uh, some other examples? So uh, some of the other stuff that we talk about in the, the talk is that uh, and again, it comes down to module being the default way that we build things. Module me, like literally Ruby's module. Yes, okay. exactly. One thing that bit me not all that long ago, really, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ashamed or proud to admit, I had been using RHELs long enough that back in the day, we would have, say, a post helper and a comments helper and a, you know, whatever helper, right? And that was the way, you know, you, you were supposed to do things. Presenters weren't a thing or, you know, so we didn't think. And when we would build these helper modules, they would only get included into the controller and in the, if you were dealing with a particular type of resource, right? And then about seven years ago, um, David put in a, a single line commit that said default to all helpers all the time. So it, it, in an in application or controller, it said helper all. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a dark age there where there was no way even to opt out, like to go back to it. And then for... About three years ago, a uh, commit went in that allowed us to opt back to the old behavior where it, it only included in the, in the controllers that shared the name. Mm -hmm. So there's this sort of assumption that we would have since we have this directory structure set up and you know you have model, a model name post, you have a controller named post controller, you have a helper named post helper, that these all go together, right? But it was, it was very much handled in the, the way that the asset pipeline handles things, where everything is really just getting mashed into one giant namespace. You know, you get one big CSS file, you get one big JavaScript file. Mm -hmm. And it, it was frustrating for me because I had actually looked to implement a bit of polymorphism in, in the view layer. Basically, mm -hmm. I looked to have a partial that I could reuse for several different things that had a similar footprint in terms of helpers. And it worked great in development. So I might have had like a summary method, for instance, on my, on my helpers for posts versus uh, like reviews. Mm -hmm. One prints like a star rating, the other prints just like the post and its tags or something so like that. So it's a partial that would call like a, a summary method on whatever a summary method. went into it. And one would expect, because of the way that the naming conventions work, that a summary would be a post summary if it was a post and a, a review summary, let's say, if it mm -hmm. wasn't. Mm -hmm. And it worked great in development. It blew up in production when I deployed it. And I was very confused by this at first. Uh, and it came down to that giant shared shared namespace. You know, what was happening was, of course, constant reloading was making that a non-issue whenever I was loading in development. But in production, depending on where I went first, I would have one version of the method loaded. And then the next, the next place that I visited, we weren't reloading constants anymore. So, mm -hmm. And it also depended on which app server I was hitting. Mm. So, you know, I might hit one, one passenger or one Brutal. unicorn in one case, and it would be very uh, sporadic. I spent far longer than I should have probably debugging that. Uh, it took me about half a day to really realize that, oh, there's this setting that we don't even have 
commented somewhere in like the application RB that we could disable that behavior. Yep. And uh, I, I went into the contributor campfire and said, hey, I'd love to love to add a, a patch to uh, at least put this in here so you know this is what I'm aiming for. I was told, no, it's much, much, much more convenient to have everything all in one place. We know about the polymorphism thing. We don't really need to support it. And but what we would love to have is a, a patch that instead hooked into a method added and on that module, on the helpers module. And if you happen to add another method that overwrites the other one, prints a warning to console. So we'll add more code to support this kind of, I would say, marginally questionable uh, engineering practice to begin with. Yeah. So, so what did you end up doing? I ended up setting that value to false and, and making the recommendation to all of my team members that from here on out, we do that too. And if we want the other helpers, we can go ahead and include them ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, Gotcha. That's great. That's, those are good examples. Well, I mean, you know, you have, I mean, even a medium-sized Rails application is going to have 20, maybe 30 controllers. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take much to get there, right? Mm -hmm. If you have helpers that go along with each one of those and you're dealing with, say, 200, 300 helper methods, you either have to develop a naming scheme where everything is prefixed with, like, post underscore whatever or suffixed or something, mm -hmm. or you just take your chances, you roll the dice and wait for some weird error like that that is really hard to track down because you end up having two methods that you know, have the same name. So it's a symptom because we're throwing these things in modules that just get all mixed in into that one place as mm -hmm. opposed to having this like help with, dealt with, with like composition or like actually encapsulated right. something? Right. It's right. It's sitting right on the singleton of the, the controller. So like if you go and you ask for the controller dot helpers, um, you'll get this module and it has everything. It has, if you have a thousand helpers defined across 40 files, you have a thousand methods in that, in that actually you have more than that. You have whatever Ruby has already and what Rails has, but you also have your code. Mm. So in the in the keynote the other day, David was saying he's not concerned with like API footprint sizes, like yeah. method counts. Yeah, he was trolling me. <laughs> that, was, that was directed at you explicitly. I, I believe so. I, I I made a tweet regarding this. I wrote a little app uh, that I posted about over the weekend um, that just instantiated a, a bare uh, model, a bare controller, bare view, and printed the ancestor hierarchy and the uh, the number of methods, both public, protected, and private, at the class and at the instance level. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel that that may not be the be-all, end-all way to gauge complexity, but it's certainly a valuable heuristic to use. Hmm. And um, I may just not be as smart as David, right? I can't hold that much information in my head at a time. And I find that if you argue that, well, no, you really don't need to, you only care about some subset of those methods in certain contexts, that's a real slippery slope. Um, particularly when we do things like encourage people to create their own monster bags of methods uh, that involve them having to basically have some idea about every method name in that system to make sure they don't define something that overrides it. It's very, very difficult to reason about a system that has that many points of potential contact mm. with, one, with other parts of the system. So, so is, that your, is that your main objection to it? It's, it's hard to sort of keep it all in your head? It's hard to keep it in your head, but also I believe that if you really need uh, an API that is that broad, that it's just as simple to compose such an API from smaller parts. Mm -hmm. Like, if you need to expose that, there are other ways to do it, either via composition or, as I mentioned before, using uh, class inheritance as opposed to module inclusion style inheritance to build up different levels at which you can instantiate the thing that you actually care about, have the world be as big or as small as you need it to be. Mm -hmm. I think that's very much in the spirit of what in Yehuda's diagram showed how we sometimes dive down deeper, right? to a lower level, and then we come back up, right? Like, yes, it's great to have the default be, you know, we operate at this really high level of abstraction, but if there's not a good, clean way to drop down 
to different levels, then it gets in the way of development and it forces us into this all or nothing thing like, oh, for Active Records case, I'm going to use, use either the chainable relation stuff or I'm going to drop all the way down to find by SQL with strings, let's say. Mm-hmm. And there's my in-between. Hmm. So what is someone to do? Like, what, what, what do you find yourself doing to sort of cope with this scenario? So after I just complained so much about modules, you're going to find this amusing. Um, the way that I actually cope with it, um, you know how in firefighting they have this thing called a backfire where they set a fire where they think the fire is going to mm. burn it out ahead of time, <laughs> right? I use modules to deal with this problem. Okay. I like to think of it like that. I like to think of it like I'm, like I'm setting a backfire. So what I do, I have a small set of rules that I tend to follow when I do this. Uh, first off, I never run Rails G model off the start with a new app. I actually just write plain Ruby classes. I validate the domain logic first, the trickier parts of stuff, so very domain-driven design type, type methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, so then once I've got that sort of working and I don't have any way to persist this stuff, I start to think, well, what concessions am I willing to make to the framework in order to persist this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Does it make sense to stick with Active Record? How am I gonna break that logic down in ways that don't leave me fighting Rails? Hexagonal Rails is really interesting, but I think that in the end, you find yourself needing to like extend Active Record, Active Model Naming, you need, find yourself needing to do a bunch of stuff that pull more Rails back in anyway. Mm. And so I feel like sometimes you end up just fighting with the framework more than is worthwhile. Sure. So I feel like I would rather give Rails what it seems to want, and what Rails seems to want from me is an active record class to interact with with a whole bunch of methods on it, a mm-hmm. whole bunch of domain methods. Yeah. And so the way that I do that is that then I take the methods that exist on my plain Ruby objects and I group them by behavior type. And so I create a separate directory and I put modules that I intend to include in each of these potential classes uh, there. I have rules about the active record class. I say I only use uh, the macros that are provided by active record base. So I can say I can define associations, I can define let's say, validation, the simple built-in, like validates presence of or whatever. But if there's anything more complex than that, um, it lives either in a module or another class. And the reason that it lives in the module, and you would think, well, that doesn't really buy you much. It's all getting mixed into the same class anyway. And I would agree that that's the case. What's getting mixed in, your stuff or real stuff? stuff? Okay. My stuff. So I have these behavior modules that have grouped by, let's let's just imagine it's a tagging module. So it puts a scope on the thing that lets me search by tags maybe, and it has you know t- tag names equal methods, so I can just type them in and it'll do it, find or initialize or whatever I want to do, right? Uh, just as an example. Yep. And so once you do that though, then when you write your tests for this behavior, first off, they already exist to begin with because they existed for the plain Ruby object. But now once you're doing it for the active record object, for you let integration tests handle the testing of the interactions between everything. Mm-hmm. And at the unit test level, what you do instead is you take this behavior module and you include it in a class that implements only the minimum footprint interaction needed between the host class and, and the, the module. Mm-hmm. So what this does is it makes, obviously, the tests run like ridiculously fast. Uh, you still need an integration test to cover that it actually behaves correctly with active record. Yep. But you still now can take the test that you already had with the, with the plain Ruby object and continue to use that. Just include the behavior, make sure it still works. And if it does, well, great, you know, nothing's changed. Yep. Once you've done that, there's obviously one other question, which is, well, how do you keep the, the modules from being interdependent, right? That's the problem, which you could see air quotes on a, on a, on a podcast, right? Yeah. That's the problem that Active Support Concern aims to solve. Hmm. It's a problem that Active Support Concern and the Rails created itself. It's like, here's a yak, but we give you a free razor with it, you know? <laughs> and so... What I tend to find uh, works really well for me is to take those modules and say, 
if this module depends on the behavior of another module that is also being included on the base class, that's the term sentinel animal, right? The, the canary in the coal mine, right? That's the thing that tells me, oh wait, this is something that wants to be an object. This is something that wants to be a class. Mm. It has this more complex behavior that's really two different things combined that interact with this, with this active record class. Mm -hmm. So it ends up serving as a signal, and that's where the forum objects come out. That's where it, it forces you down the path of extracting the right things in the objects, meanwhile not standing in the way of, of Rails unless you really have to go through the fight. Mm. So some of your modules become uh, classes. Exactly, exactly right. So a single module, if it can just simply add its behavior onto the, the host class without any dependence on any of my other behavior modules mm -hmm. is not a problem. But once once it actually is interdependent on another surface, like another module, right? Once it's connecting in more than one area, well then that says to me, this is really something that's a collaborator. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's worked really well for me. Uh, it may not work for everybody, but it's one way to cope with some of this friction. That, that's such a nuanced way of putting it. Like, shouldn't you just say that this is the best way to do things and everything else is wrong? <laughs> no, because I'm not David. Um, <laughs> You know, as much as I like to stir up a little bit of controversy, as much as I would like to state things in absolutes, I think the apps that David works on are very different than the apps that many other users of Rails work on. And so I, I believe wholeheartedly that David believes and, in fact, has had great success with the way that Basecamp is doing things, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's fair to assume that just because it works for that particular app that it's going to work for all of us. I kind of feel like, you know, we keep running into this brick wall and people are insisting that it's platform nine and three quarters. And if you just run with more passion at this wall, if you just believe, if you're just, just, just run at the right angle, if you do just the right thing, it'll all just work and you'll be in a magical land, right? Mm -hmm. And in practice, I just don't think that there would be this many of us having these same kinds of problems and talking so much about how we can coexist, how our apps can coexist with Rails um, if in fact that were, were the case. Mm. Well, to, to me, the, the broader reality is that there's always many solutions to a thing with pros and cons to it. Mm -hmm. And to, to point any one of them as the only way or a, like the, the best way is, is almost always foolish. Yes. And yeah, I, I would agree. That attitude in general drives me crazy. And so like, every time I hear a talk from anybody about anything where it's like, check out this thing, here is everything that's great about it. It's always like, well, yes, but what's the rest of the story? Like, what are the drawbacks? There's never, there's a, I can't think of anything that's like, this is always a good idea. This will right. never bite you. Right, yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, that kind of thing makes for a good controversial keynote. And sure. That's why these guys make great keynote speakers. But at the same time, if the conversation stops there, then we're doing everyone a disservice. Yeah, and I actually had people come up to me after uh, David talked about TDD, and they're like, well, I know you, you gave a talk like a year or two ago about like how you like TDD, and then I saw his talk, so now what? And I was like, well, you're going to have to take the fact that I think that this is a good idea, and someone else thinks it's not a good idea, and you're going to have to figure out what you think. <laughs> and you, mean, you mean you didn't say, like, well, you have to choose a side, man. Right. You have to be like, you have to, you can't even be in the middle. There is no middle ground. Right, of course here. not. Be yeah. on my side. Right, either you're you know, in my we have camp. Cookies. Right, exactly. <laughs> And, and so I, I hope to encourage more of that style of thinking in the world in general and software in particular of mm -hmm. like people have sometimes agendas and their own unique viewpoint and their own unique, you know, likes and dislikes. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to like follow behind them exactly in lockstep. You, you can take things and filter and run it through your own, your own ideas and come up with what you think. Yeah, I did this module thing over a year ago, uh, started doing it, and it's the first time I've really started to talk about it because I'm kind of terrified that people are going to go, modules, this is horrible, what are you saying? Mm -hmm. Because it sounds very much like Brian Helmkamp's write-up about ways not to refactor your, your fat models, right? Don't mm -hmm. extract mix-ins, but yeah. there's a nuance here that needs to be communicated, right? We're building with this in mind, we're not 
trying to figure out how everything is interrelated after the fact and extract because that's very, very difficult. But even what you, what you just said right there was, was telling to me, like you, even you are worried based because of a blog post. Mm -hmm. Like one person had like a blog post and was like, don't do that. And you're like, oh, right. everyone else has read that blog post. So right. I hope when I show them this, they're not going to, you know, yeah. like, no, we saw the blog post. You can't do this. Exactly. There's, there's very much a, we don't deal with nuance well in our, in our community, really. Uh, we very much, uh, if Matt's is nice, um, so we are nice. David is polarizing, so we are polarized. Um, he is a person who has very strong opinions. I respect that about him, actually. I think it's a, a, an admirable quality. But because uh, he views things very black and white very often, I think any uh, BDFL tends to impart some of his personality on his community. Yeah. Have you, have you talked about this stuff with him face-to-face? -face? The last time I talked to him face-to-face -face was last year at a, at a dinner pre-RailsConf. And I mentioned to him some of the, you know, that I had the only active record talk on the schedule. And uh, he's, oh, what's it about? And I was like, oh, kind of the things that drive me crazy about Active Record, you know. And we had a we had a productive talk. I would say that he's a super reasonable guy to talk to, but that's not the persona that you see. Yeah, you know. that was my suspicion. Like, I find that that is a, a common theme with people. Is like you get them in person and face to face, and it's a very different scenario. And this is an easy trap to fall into. Like I was even just today was preparing a lightning talk to give later. And I found myself making these like bold, sweeping statements, and you get caught up in this sort of rhetorical mind where you're like, "I must win the audience, and I must bring them with me on this journey." Mm -hmm. And then I realized, like, I'm doing exactly the things that I would have criticized David for, or did criticize David for, you know, to myself, yeah. uh, like earlier, because like it's it's hard not to get swept away in that stuff. Right. Uh, but a talk can be a little less interesting if it's nuanced, right? Sometimes it's more fun to just be like, this is wrong, and these people are bad, and I hate yeah. JavaScript, and like, you know, like you just, <laughs> it's a little easier to, to whip up the emotions that way. Yeah. So I'm trying to be aware of that, of my own <laughs> propensity to do that too, and like give people a little slack. Yeah, it's, it's tricky, right? It's a delicate balance, like pretty much everything. And I think if there were a, a motto that we could take away from this entire year's conference, it would be like nuance, you know, it, it's a thing, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and it's, it's been really interesting to see the reactions to the keynotes and the back and forth that's happened. I haven't been able to follow Twitter as closely as I normally would if I were not, you know, at a conference, but uh, it seems that it's, it's really got a lot of folks talking. I'm a little terrified of this whole system testing thing that uh, David's now talking about in, in the blog post he made, uh, I guess it was yesterday, mm. uh, about how, you know, that might be the way that we're going to be starting to drive Rails tests in the future, like whole system tests. Why does that terrify you? Well, because I think that what people are going to do is exactly what we've just been discussing, which is they're going to say, oh, well, since system tests cover everything, I really don't need unit tests. And, and they're just going to buy into that, right? Mm -hmm. And conventions have such power to influence the way that we think about our problems that mm -hmm. if the framework adopts these conventions, it's going to take a very concerted effort by the community to remember that we still have brains and we can think for ourselves and we can do these things that maybe aren't necessarily encouraged by the framework, but also aren't prohibited. Mm -hmm. I think maybe we should start the nuance conf. Yes, there you go. Sounds good. It's like, you Sign know, me up. Strong opinions, weekly held only. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Cool. What else is going on with you? What do you do when you're not railing against uh, rails and whatnot? Um, well, these days I've been playing a lot of Titanfall. So there's Titanfall? That. Yes. Not familiar. Oh, no. It's a, well, it's a video game. I'm obviously very mature and very all about serious business. Mm -hmm. um, Besides that, I work uh, at a company called Apris. I started not too terribly long ago, and they're based in Louisville. They do some really cool work that involves saving lives, like literally saving lives. Like um, one of our apps is a victim notification thing. Somebody, victim of violent crime, 
can sign up to be notified if the person who has hurt him or her is released or has escaped or is out on the street. So that it's less about being notified that they're out and more about not hearing anything, which lets you sleep at night. Mm. There are a lot of things that I really believe about that we do there. That makes me happy. Uh, it took me a while to find a job that I felt like I was doing real good at the same time as yeah. um, you know having some fun problems to solve. Mm -hmm. So there's been that. And then there's the whole cancer thing. was going through that as well. So that's been fun. You know, I got to make lots of uh, ball puns on Twitter, and nobody can say anything because I had cancer. So, you know, anytime you got a blank check to say incredibly tasteless things on Twitter, hey, that's all right. Yeah, right. Make <laughs> squirm a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that was heavy. Okay. <laughs> hey, cancer. Um, no. How about you? What's going on with you? Uh, you know, just stuff. Just things. Uh, we learned a lot of closure. Really excited about that as a language and a community that definitely a community that embraces nuance. That that's something that I'm a big fan of. It's like, hey, this is a cool idea. Maybe you guys think so too. You should check it out. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's wow, that's refreshing. What a novel idea. It's not the only idea. The functional guys in general seem to well, they they seem to be more scientific like that. They look at observations and they take empirical uh, information and they do something with it, right? And they say, well, maybe maybe we can find some new things that serve us well. Yeah, they're, they're big on science. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, you know, again, it's that false dichotomy, right? Science can coexist with more strongly held beliefs about how things should eventually shape up. Right. You know? And are able to be you know, tested and right. yeah, verified yeah. or not. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I appreciate you coming by and chatting. This has been really fun. Thanks. Yeah. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 97. Thanks for listening.